0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Powered by the Ingram Agency. You're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. I'm Kyle. With me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. So how's your bracket looking, boys? Busted.
2: Yes, the same <laughs> as it was last week. Dramatic
3: pause, and yes, it's, it's in flame. It's just fire starter right now. But, you know, the NHL is now offering a second chance, so if you want to get on in on that, then go ahead.
1: Looking at my bracket here, I only got two picks correct. That was St. Louis <laughs> and the Islanders. It's the same as last year, wasn't it, Kyle? Uh, I think I did more than you, but I think you actually won our bet this year. That's that's well, right. the, the first, first round. Yeah, that's just between you two, so go
3: ahead and claim $5 now. I think those are my $5, so Kyle, once again, owes me money. Kyle, I only got two correct as well. I only got Boston and the Blues, and ironically enough, even with me only picking two correct, I think my bracket is still technically have has a higher points value that I could get possibly over yours
1: because of the blues, but that's it. Literally. Was, that's it. How was yours, Matt? Yeah.
2: I at <laughs> least correctly picked Dallas. So that's the only area that I really have an advantage over you guys, depending on how far they go. that so that'll be the difference between Daniel and I is who wins this series, uh, St. Louis or Dallas.
1: Yep. Yeah. I literally, after the second round, both my conference finals are gone. <laughs> my Stanley cup finals gone. I, I just give up.
3: You yeah, know, I tried to go with bad. like
1: some analytics this year, and analytics failed me. Next year, it's coin flips and dart boards for yeah, us. Boys. Next year, I'm going by the jerseys. So, what have you thought about the game so far going into the second round?
3: So far, um, we have a couple shockers I think we'll get into coming up here in a few minutes. But, man, I mean, playoff hockey has just been so exciting this year. It has been the year of the underdog oh, for yeah. sure, and it is continuing to be going into the second round.
1: What do you think will happen if both of the I guess Stanley Cup finalists from both sides and up being wild card seeds.
3: I mean, it's it's a possibility at this point. I mean, yeah, y- you're looking at the top teams in each division. All four divisional winners are out in the first round, and it's the year of the wild card. That's also
2: the first time ever that's happened. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. It's it's just crazy how things have completely
2: flipped in this playoff this year. It's amazing at how much I love to root for the underdogs, and really, Carolina is just about the hottest team right now. But some part of me is still kind of like a crotchety old man, where I'm like, I hope Carolina doesn't win, even though they've had great success, because they need to sit down and earn their turn and let one of these big franchise teams uh, have the win. Like but
3: Boston, or yeah, yeah.
2: But at this point, it's it's highly looking like it's going to be uh, some random team, Carolina or whatnot. So and the it's,
3: Blues. Think about the Blues; they were in dead last yeah, in yeah. December, and now. They're, you know, a couple games away from a conference final.
2: It's been exciting. I mean, of course, it's always frustrating if you're a fan of one particular team or your home team and they go out, it's sad. But the overall watchability factor, you've had overtime uh, games have went seven nights in a row. There have been an overtime game. It's been incredible to watch underdogs or upsetting number one seeds. It's really good
1: watchability for all of the hockey market in general, not just uh, whatever your local team might be. You know, I don't think the NHL could have planned this any better. I mean, you got to think they are loving this right now because you got the NBA Finals going on. Well, not the Finals, but the playoffs are going on in the NBA. And everyone's like, yeah, predictable. We know who's going to do it. It's going to probably be the Golden State Warriors. And then they get the NHL, and you're like, here's all these really good teams. And then, yeah. Yeah, but this sucks just, for all of y'all. The
3: disparity in the NHL has always been there, but this year more so than others. It's just more prevalent and Honestly, a little fluky. I don't know if we'll see this set up quite like this again for several years. I mean, th- this has been an historic year. It, we might not see something like this happen again.
1: But with the teams that are left, of course, spreads are out, and we'll talk about that later. What team are you rooting for? Oh, that, that's so
3: difficult because I, I really like the Sharks. I, I, I'm a Sharks guy. Um, I, I really want to see Thornton lift the cup grandpa Thornton needs needs a cup and I I really want to see him do it
2: yeah I have to agree with me this one's kind of easy I'm I'm obviously rooting for the Sharks they probably have the best team by far on paper so they have to be one of the favorites going in to win the cup at this point in the in the playoffs so always good uh good hockey there in San Jose to watch and I'm definitely rooting for them as well
3: Kyle I think we know who your team is (laughs) yep I'm gonna go Carolina (laughs) yeah no no joke your bubble team for like four or five years is finally paid off and looking like might be the heir apparent or the team of destiny this year.
1: Well, I know our friends over at the Bread podcast, they're loving this. I know when they were having some trouble, they were like, Music City Gold, help us. And we're like, we can't help you. We're already out. We're already enjoying the off season. In fact, you know, it was coming over today and I was like, man, it is 80-something degrees weather here. I'm like, this is perfect golf weather. <laughs> <laughs> perfect timing for the Predators. It's weird, too, because this time last season and the season before, we were still wearing our hockey jerseys. We're still going out and doing things, and now it's like, what do we do? We're having a long summer, and I I hate it.
3: Yeah, and I think this year we've had a couple other things kind of mitigate that, and one was the NFL draft being in Nashville. You know, you have lots of fanfare around that. Obviously, we had 600,000 people show up for that, and Nashville looked extremely good on uh, television and the entire world. But, I mean, this year you you can't be not excited about this type of hockey, too, with all these underdog teams winning. So, at the same time, yeah, it's kind of disappointing. Your home team's out, like Matt said earlier. But, man, kid you not, it's been fun hockey to watch because it's mostly underdogs. So, uh, I'm not too sad this year, even though the Preds are
1: out. I know you're talking about the NFL draft. So, Thursday, Chelsea went home. And before her flight left, we just said, you know what? We're going to go get some food. We went up to the pub on the Gulch. And we were eating, enjoying our food, and all of a sudden, we see like a mass excess of girls running down the street, getting up from the restaurant with their boyfriends or fiancés, or husbands or parties, and it's like just a mass hysteria of girls. I was like, what in the world is going on? T-Swizzle, baby. That's right. <laughs> Came over there, the waiter's like, so if you didn't hear, Taylor Swift is a block away. I'm like great.
3: Yeah, yeah. You want to shut down Nashville, have an NFL draft with like 600,000 people to come up and then Taylor Swift show up and try to like announce something inside the Gulch. I think Tim McGraw did a free concert. There you go. Just shut it down for the whole weekend, but I mean, they made a ton of money, so we looked great
1: doing it. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact those girls when we got finished with our food, we were leaving and there was girls walking down the street FaceTime with their friends and their family going oh my gosh, Taylor Swift touched me. I'm not washing his hand. I got the toucher. I'm going to die. I'm shook and whatever the terms they use these days. <laughs> I was just like, come on, guys. I'm like, it's just a person.
3: Well, some people, that's their idol. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you yeah, know, it's whatever, man. It's, it's to each its own. It'd be different. If, I mean, if a hockey player would come up to you, if Gretzky walked up to you, would you want to shake his hand? Absolutely. Exactly. But there's a difference in shaking
1: hand and screaming. Not washing it for, yeah. for two months, but And speaking of Gretzky, did you see where he said he'd be the first person lined up to shake Alex Ovechkin's hand if he beats his uh total of of goals?
3: Yeah, I I saw the quote. I mean, I don't know if it's possible, but it'll I mean I, I think Gretzky's kinda like got most of the the number one spots locked in for a while. So <laughs>
2: It's kind of like when you go to the top of the world and you're the only person to experience it, you got nobody to talk to about it because nobody's been there. So he wants somebody to join the company with him just so he has somebody to talk about on, on the mountain of greatness there.
3: Yeah, and there's a huge disparity between the first mountain and the second mountain. <laughs> that's and that's it's true. it's usually Gordy Howell. So it's, I mean, and there's still a difference, which is crazy to think about.
1: Well, since we're talking about greatness and Wayne Gretzky, I know one team that's looking to become great in the playoffs is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Sure. And, you know, they're the shock of the hockey world. I think they are the Cinderella team besides Carolina. And can you imagine if both Carolina and Columbus gets into the Eastern conference final, that's going to be like a Cinderella underdog story for like years to come.
3: Yeah. And just to recap the series so far, obviously Columbus had a ton of time off (laughs) after sweeping the president's cup trophy bolts. And now the series with Boston is actually tied at one, one. So uh, let's let's go over that first game really quick here, Kyle. With Boston, Boston ends up actually winning this game to start off.
1: Yeah, so this game really swung in the favor of Boston from the get go. Boston managed seven minutes and four seconds of offensive zone possession compared to Columbus's just under four and a half minutes. And the Bruins also led in shots by a wide margin of thirty-seven to twenty-two. They led in the slot shots sixteen to ten. Rush chances were eight and five in favor of the Bruins. Ends up with a final score of three to two, and. You're just like, wow, okay, Boston's here to play. They just trounced Toronto in game seven. And you're like, okay, Columbus, it's time for you to roll over and go. Yeah, it was actually kind of interesting watching
2: this game. It seems that Boston did dominate most of the stats, but watching it live, it was just kind of like kind of boring actually until the third. That's when the game really started yep. to ramp up in, in the last uh, 15 minutes or so of the game. And something we haven't mentioned yet is Charlie Coyle has been clutch. He's got as many game uh, as many goals in the playoffs as he had all year when he got traded to Boston. He had two goals on uh, just this game, and he had he's the guy who had the OT winner. So, r- despite it being kind of a, a boring and defensive game to start, I think mean, maybe the teams were feeling each other out just to start, but uh, it definitely started to ramp up in the third period.
3: Yeah, you got to think uh, Columbus probably had a little bit of rust too from sitting around for yeah. that long. I. Uh, But Brodsky played incredible. I mean, they had 37 shots on goal, I believe. So his his save percentage was actually 9.19, which was higher than Rask's in a loss. But that said, obviously they had a little bit of rust, but they came out in game two. Well, before we get to game two,
2: one stat I wanted to mention real quick about game one is that Columbus did give up four penalties, which seems odd considering they only gave up six penalties the entire series against Tampa Bay. And there's one thing about Boston is they play a grinding style of hockey and that tends to lure teams in to taking penalties. So we're going to have to see how that plays out as the series go.
3: Yeah, and it was funny because in game two, I felt like some of that kind of flipped over to the Blue Jackets side. Uh, They ended up taking four penalties as well, but actually the Jackets capitalized and got two power play goals against the Bruins. They were 50% for the night in game two. And some of the other advanced stats that we'll get into as well with Kyle show that they basically came out and tried to you know, make a statement while on the road and basically stole a game oh, absolutely. in Boston.
1: They absolutely stole a game. And when you look at some of the, uh, the point, it's a site we reference for a lot of our stats. Boston is just all over the place. So in slot pass completions, you've got Posternick and Marshan with 6-5, and five. that's first and tied for second. And then slot shots, you've got Patrice Bergeron, who's got seven of those slot shots. And with controlled zone entries, you've got Marchand with 22. Yeah, it's not even close. Like, that top line is kicking for
3: Boston, too. But Borowski, as I said before, he's been really the key factor in this series so far just to keep it to a 1-1 tie uh, and to be going home to Columbus. I I think that is more than what they wanted, come in there and steal one game and then get out. Come home to those ravenous fans that are going to be in Columbus for Game 3. Well, now that the series is tied 1-1, I'm feeling pretty confident about Boston
2: moving forward considering that in Game 1, one of Columbus's goals was kind of a lucky deflection, so the game wasn't really as close as it said it was on paper. And then in Game 2, Panarin pretty much had Columbus on, on his back, had the, had the whole team on his back when he had two goals and an assist, I believe you said as well. So it was kind of the Panarin show. So they're going to have to start showing up besides just getting a lucky goal and having one player stand out. They're going to have to do what they did in the first round and make it a whole
1: team effort. If they're going to come out on top of against Boston here. And I think one thing they're going to do is they're going to have to contain both the power play units for Boston. So first in top power play units and goals per 20 minutes is Charlie Coyle, McAvoy, Krejci, DeBrusk and Grizzlick at 7.6 goals per 20 minutes. And then you've got the second power play unit, which is Marshan on Posternick, Krug, and Johansson
3: at 3.8. Yeah, it, it's just insane how how well they have been playing on the power play. Um, but I also got to go back. Did you see Panarin's second goal? Oh, it was like oh that was a my complete sniper. Th- of the goal. I mean, thin mint, straight top over. I, I couldn't believe the angle that he got it from. Absolutely incredible.
2: Yeah, and since we're talking about it, it's worth mentioning that Columbus currently sits at a 38.9% power play unit, so that's smoking hot.
1: And Jones is the puck possession per game leader with three minutes.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, I think a lot of that came from the Tampa Bay series where they had 50%. Yeah. So it hasn't quite spilled over or haven't averaged out yet, but, I mean, you're looking at two of the best power play teams in the league facing off in the second round here. So just look for more special teams to be a key factor moving forward in this entire series.
1: And now going on to the other game in the East, you've got the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Islanders, which I will again say that I was correct in the fact that they beat the Penguins. So (laughs) suck it, both of you. And this was a series I was not expecting to go back to Raleigh with the Hurricanes having a 2-0 lead. I thought for sure they would be tied or even the Islanders would be able to ride that momentum off beaten. Pittsburgh to grab a 2 0 lead.
0: Yeah, I,
3: I think you're seeing a little bit more rust too from the, the Islanders. They just didn't come out very strong in the first game. Uh, it, it, it just, their passing wasn't as crisp. I, I remember there's one play in particular. They had a 4 on 2, and the passing was very sloppy in the neutral zone, and they couldn't gain a zone entry on a 4 on 2, and it ended up being just a broken play. So, I think that's going to continue to get better as they play through the series, but the problem is now you've kind of dug yourself a hole going down 0-2, and now you're going to go away to these Carolina Hurricane fans that are going to be absolutely crazy for game three and four. Um, it, it's not looking good for the Islanders right now.
2: Couple that with Jordan Stahl is the guy who scores the OT winner in game one for Carolina. He also is the guy who scored the tying goal in game seven in, in round one, so he's a guy that's going hot so it seems that Carolina has a couple pieces that are clicking at the right time. And another thing of note going into game two is that we saw, actually who's been rather hot lately, is Peter Morazic, but he takes a bit of a spill and leaves the game, and Carolina goes on emergency protocol uh, for, to find a backup goaltender. So I don't have his status at the moment. I don't know if they've released it to see if he's going to come back in game three. I think that's tomorrow night. But that's going to be interesting going forward because
1: he has been clicking at just the right time as well. It's interesting you're talking about those emergency backup goalists. So, you know, Razza goes out, McElhaney has to come in, and all of a sudden you're like, we need a backup, and you can't call somebody from your HL affiliate. Yep. So I didn't know this, but they actually have people for those games that are on standby for that very reason. And so if they get called, they come in, they suit up, they either sit on the bench or they sit in the locker room, and sometimes they'll actually get a jersey with their name on it just for showing up, and they get like two to $500.
2: Yeah, I think they had mentioned there was a guy – on their, I don't know if he's an equipment manager or somebody who's a former goalie and played for them maybe earlier this year or something, that he was going to be suiting up for them if if it need be.
1: So do you think in Game 3, do you think the Islanders can at least steal home ice back? Uh, uh, it's
3: going to be very difficult, but I think the key factor is going to be Mrazik's status. Uh, I mean, he's been very hot in the series, and it's obviously been a defensive series as well. I mean, you're talking a 1-0 game yeah. and a 2-1 game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see moving forward if if their backup goalie can compete or just hold the fort till Mrazic comes back because that is a huge blow for them right now.
2: Well, it does seem to be a bit of a goaltender's battle here in this series, but I know for Carolina, the way to continue to beat uh, Lehner is... He seems to only lose high blocker. If you look at the chart of where he gets beat, he's had six goals going on high blocker and only one, uh, one one 1-1 and 0 in other places. So I guess they're targeting him in that area. Either they're targeting him there or he's just too good everywhere else, and that's the only place that happens to go in. But he's great. He's been standing on his head. He's, he's been an excellent goaltender. So they found a way to uh, pierce him on the high blocker side.
3: Yeah, I mean he he's been super solid all year. I mean he's a he's a Vesna finalist so for a reason and really carrying the Islanders right now. So uh, and at some point you got to look at the scores here. He put up one goal against and two goal against. Yeah, <laughs> and your team is not producing offense. So I think the biggest concern for the Islanders is hey, can they knock that rust off and get back in the swing of things just to score some some points to help out your goaltender? I mean three goals given in two games is incredible for the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, in my mind, he is doing everything possible to keep them in the series. They just got to get some complimentary scoring to, to give him some wins.
2: And they better do it quick because Carolina now has won four games straight, and that is a great confidence booster going back to home ice there.
1: And now let's flip over to the West and let's talk about the Avalanche versus the Sharks. Did you know that there are three Sharks that are leading in the number of D-zone block passes? Burns with 59, Brown 42, and Carlson with 37.
2: It's just been crazy. Burns has been a maniac on the ice, and that just shows you how much heart and soul he wants it, man. He was...
3: Tons of ice time, too.
2: Yeah, yeah I think he was <laughs> obviously the leader in ice time. And, uh, yeah, you can tell how committed he is. And even at his age, you know, he's not quite as spry as he used to be, but he's a defensive
3: maniac. Yeah, and it, it would be amiss if we didn't go back and actually talk briefly about Game Six and Seven in the Vegas series because you oh, got, oh, yeah. you got to think first of all Jones comes in as we would said on the last episode stands on his head steals a game it goes to Game Seven we're expecting you know a great Game Seven well the Knights are actually dominating this game in every way shape form or fashion uh, into ten minutes into the third and uh, there is a penalty that is called for a five minute major. Which Which was a very reactionary call, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, it was the wrong call. Because they
1: even said they really couldn't pinpoint why it was called. There's a lot of problems with this because, one, it was
3: also in the Shark Tank, too. So that fueled it because the fans were just raging. There was blood involved. So it just looked bad. But if you go back and look at the video, honestly, I don't know how they called a five minute major. That said, what ensued was the most ridiculous game. I have ever witnessed in
1: my entire life towards the end. Mind-boggling what happened. I mean, we talk about the fact that the Preds power play was terrible. Talk about a time for your penalty kill to just hang the skates up and just not get on the ice. I mean, four goals surrendered.
3: In four minutes. (laughs) Four goals in four minutes, and the game is four to three. You're losing, and now you only have five minutes left to come back. And guess what? They pull their goalie, and they score with six forwards, by the way. He had six forwards on the ice, which I love because it was just like defense out the window. Everything's on the line. Put all six out there, and then they come back and score 4-4, and you're like, this is the craziest 10-minute sequence of a game I've ever witnessed. It was mind-boggling. Obviously, it was a really incorrect call, in my opinion, but at the same time, it made for the most ridiculous hockey ever. I mean, on the flip side, you got to say, hey, Golden Knights, you know, you might want to not get four hung on you in five minutes on your penalty kill. But at the same time, it's like, oh, it's... Once that first one went in, you could see the confidence building in the Sharks. There's blood in the water. The Sharks are just circling everywhere. I mean, it's a... It was literally a National Geographic moment. And here we go. It's just... Oh, I would love to have been in the Shark Tank for this game because I'm sure the lid just peeled off the top of the roof. I mean, it it was insane just watching it on TV.
2: And – we mentioned how it was the wrong call. Even the NHL delivered an apology to uh, <laughs> Vegas because of how bad they, they they screwed it up, and so much to the point that the two referees who called it are not uh, advancing to the second round of the playoffs.
3: Uh, I mean, but at that point, it's like it's too late. Your team it, is it out is. of the playoffs. It does
2: not matter. This is why we always get on to bad refereeing because this literally made the difference in the in the in the, uh, the entire series. So Sharks go on to advance in the series when they shouldn't have. Vegas was destroying them. They should not have come back. If it wasn't for that major call, they would not have scored maybe two goals, you know. Then the power play uh, would have ended.
1: Oh, yeah. It's amazing to me because they always talk about how they don't want their refs to dictate the flow of a game, and that's exactly what happened. You ended up costing them the game because you didn't want to come out and say, I don't know why I made that call. That's where I think there should be somebody in the situation room in Toronto to be able to look at some penalties like that because... How often do you see a five-minute major given in a hockey game?
3: You really don't. I mean, hardly. I, I mean, maybe a double minor in that situation because there yeah. was the blood. But even then, I thought, I mean, it was it was very incidental, too. It, it was like he threw him, but the ice was the one that caused all the blood. So it's like, why are you, you know, I, I don't know. I just didn't get the logic behind the call. But as I said before, it, refereeing, man, it's a tough job. They were in the heat of the moment, and they had to make a decision, and the fans were losing their minds, and of course, them you know it it all factors into that, and uh, it was just sad to see that it cost a team literally their entire season on one call.
1: Now, what I saw on Twitter, somebody said, "Why don't they lower the age of referees that are ref in that game?" Because a lot of those refs are older players. Well, they're not older players; they are some of them are ex um, minor league players, or they've been refs that have ref their way up the system. And they're older. Some of them are in their 40s, probably some in their 50s. And someone was like, why don't you get younger refs that can keep up with the speed of the game?
2: Even if they have the right credentials, I'm sure they do. It was just a bad call. And that happens to everybody. It's just unfortunate. But one positive note to take out of it is look at what San Jose did to climb back in this series. They were down 3-1 to on the brink of elimination. They climbed back down 3-1 to and then down 3-0 to with 10 minutes to go in their season. And they find a way to get it done. So that speaks to just the resilience, uh, the resiliency in this team, and especially what happens when your captain goes down like that. Man, this is a team that's got experience, and and they've got what it takes to get it done. So credit for them to to at least make something of the situation and and let
1: it go their way.
3: Yeah, and then moving forward, you saw a lot of that confidence spill right over into game one. I mean, look at some of these stats right here, Kyle.
1: I mean, they came out and beat Colorado five two in game one. The shots on the goal were about even, 28-27 in favor of the Avalanche. The Avalanche had the more slot shots, 19-15, to 15, but where the Sharks guy was on the rush scoring chances, 8-5. to five.
2: We mentioned this with Carolina. At this point now, you're seeing San Jose write a four-game win streak as well, so they've got confidence high. Uh, like you said, they're breaking them down in the neutral zone, getting some rush chances on them. It seems to be going uh, the right way for San Jose at this time,
3: and they were all five on five goals too. That's important to know. They weren't power by goals either, so uh, you know, just saying they they can get it done
1: on the the other half as well too. But you know, the Avalanche's Landeskog and McKinnon are killing it when they're possessing the puck in the offensive zone. Each totaling over a minute per game.
2: Yeah, they're killing it, but unfortunately, you can't replicate five or six Landeskogs on the whole team. You know, so they're kind of the the puck drivers for for that first line.
1: What about a Barry? He's got two minutes, well, almost three minutes of puck possession per game.
2: Yeah, he's actually been great for the Avs, and going forward to game two, he he was especially big in this game. He had a goal and two assists, and uh, he was the reason he really the uh, Avalanche were in this game. But not only has Barry been big, but Burns in this game as well. He's come up huge. He had a goal uh, that brought him within, brought the Sharks within a goal. I think it was less than five minutes in the game, and he capitalized when some player lost his skate blade that came off his boot, and he capitalized on that and scored. And then he scored another goal again. I think that was within uh, ten seconds left in the game. So he has been incredible. He's also, as we mentioned, he's actually led the league the last two years in blocked passes. He he's been a he's been a maniac this game.
1: Yeah, the second game was you know it was eh, even again I would say, but you know Avalanche came out four three. And where they really got the San Jose was their slot shots was 19 compared to San, Jose, San Jose's 11.
2: It seems that when I watched this, Sharks came out early and they had uh, the numbers in, in offensive zone uh, possession time. But it seemed like the Avalanche just kind of kept hanging in there and they just kind of kept nicking away at them over and over. But San Jose hung in there and they managed to find a way uh, to eke out a win here in this game.
1: You know, I really like how San Jose is doing their uh, graphics. They got the whole neon highlights going on.
3: Oh, yeah. They look great. They always have some really neat uh, graphic offerings. I know earlier in the season they had those awesome uh, Spanish-inspired shark jerseys that kind of reminded me of the Kachina. Um, mm-hmm. those Dia were, de
2: la Muerta. Awesome. I would They're love to have nice. one. Did this. you get one, Matt? No, I haven't found one, uh, but I would like to have one, yeah.
1: So with this series tied, who do you think will come out ahead?
3: got to be the Sharks. I, I think for me, I'm going to lean towards the Sharks at this point. Um, I, I, I just – I got to think at some point the top line for Colorado comes back down to earth, you know. I, I mean, they've carried them so far, but we'll see in the next couple of games if they can continue this pace because, I mean, they're getting a lot of ice time and they're, they're going to have to grind it out against the Sharks team because they are going to punish them in every single way possible.
2: Well, it seems to be the X factor in this uh, series, at least for the Sharks, has been Martin Jones. He's either been really hot or really not, and he's been kind of shaky to start. But he did have a four game win streak, and in that time, he had a 9 4 3 save percentage. And I know, I think Coach spoke to it to this effect after one of the games. He said, You know, Martin Jones, we got faith in him. We got trust in him. We're not going to put in another guy. We're going to let him stay in there because he's brought us this far throughout the season, and he's shown that he's got what it takes to hang at this level. So hopefully. Now that he's got a couple of wins under his belt, had those say percentage margins are going back up, and hopefully he can ride that to at least give me some average numbers and uh, we'll be looking pretty good
1: moving forward in this series. I still think he'll revert to Earth soon. I'm just not a Martin Jones fan.
3: Uh, well, I mean, I'm not a Martin Jones fan either, but if he can put up average numbers, as Matt said, I think they have enough scoring offensive power
2: yeah. on the team to win. And the defense, we mentioned, of course, Brent Burns, their ability to block shots and passes helps pad Martin Jones in his weak areas when the occasion rises.
1: So going over to the next game on our docket, which is going to be the St. Louis Blues and the Dallas Stars, this is the final of the, I think what did Twitter call it, the wild card chaos squad, this I think is what the Hurricanes dubbed themselves, the group as a whole. Yeah, I guess. It's just, this is one of those games too, that you know, they're tied Blues took Game 1, Stars took Game 2, and I still think the Blues will end up beating the Stars. This is a defensive series for sure. I mean, like,
3: look at at what's going on here, but I'm not going to lie, Bennington was on top of his game. He's been my favorite
1: goalie to watch this postseason. I
3: I mean, everything else is pretty even in Game 1 as far as stat-wise, but if you're looking at one thing that jumps out of the paper, it's slot shots. 20 shots in the slot for Dallas, which we knew, wow. which we knew. By the way, that's their that's their game plan. You could ask any Preds fan uh, from round one; they love those shots in the slot. But Bennington stood on his head and only allowed two goals, and he's been phenomenal. Absolutely, the X factor for them. Don't know how long he can keep it up, but uh, I mean, you're looking at the hottest goalie, and they got a compliment, uh you know, a compliment of players that are defensive-minded, and then you add in some splashes of offense with Tarasenko tearing up the first game. Two goals, by the way. So he's now looking like he's getting hot. Man, uh, the Blues have a lot going for them in their favor, but I'm not going to lie, game two kind of shocked me a little bit, and Dallas responded
1: pretty well. Yeah, they had, uh, yeah, it was 35-34 in shots. The slot shots themselves were even, and then the rush scoring chances was six for Dallas, five for the Blues, but... Even with eight minutes of possession time, the Stars found a way to win and beat them 4-2 to go back to uh, Dallas Tide.
3: Yeah, in this game, uh, Hintz was a monster. He, he had two goals and an assist. Uh, the passing was just so crisp, too. Um, I, I mean, in between the legs, just juke, juking out players. And, and, and not going to lie. They looked really strong in game two. So it it is a major confidence booster for Dallas going back to uh, their own barn. Um, Once again, I I think defense is going to be super prevalent in this series because both teams have that in mind. But, um, you know, we'll see who can actually break the Bennington code.
2: It might just be – I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with Miro Heischkinen, but he has been been a beast. Yeah. And also, that Dallas rookies have combined for five goals uh, in the playoffs. So they're not just getting scoring from like their expected guys. They seem to be spreading around town. And that's what you want to see against uh, the St. Louis Blues.
3: And Zucarol had two assists that game as well. He's been pretty much clutch since coming back from that wrist injury.
1: And both of the Stars' power play units are three and four in goals per 20 minutes at 5.1 and 3.9.
2: I will say one thing that watching this game, one thing that frustrated me at the end was that Dallas had the lead, but it was it was close. You know, it was a one goal game, and at the very end of the game, I think there was like uh, two and a half minutes to go, and somebody has a delay game penalty in the defensive zone, and now you're giving up a power play, so you have a chance for the Blues maybe to pull the goalie and get a two man advantage, and you only have a one goal uh, lead. That's not really what you want to see, and that's something that the Stars are going to have to work on going forward because just this game alone, they gave the Blues five chances at the power play. And that's something in this series is going to be very tight. So you're going to have to keep that in check going
3: forward. Yeah, they they were used to the Preds' power play where they could take a penalty for a you know. (laughs) I mean, honest. But if you think about it, like if there's a good scoring opportunity, why not take a penalty on the Preds because they're zero percent for the series. Where, yeah, but that's a strategy. I mean, you're taking away that immediate play that could result in a goal to defer to a power play that is completely struggling, where that is not the case with the Blues. So that will be very interesting moving forward. Well, the Blues are sitting at 23% on the
2: power play, which is good enough for me to not give up five, uh, five penalties a game.
1: That's so. 23% better than the Preds. So.
3: <laughs>
2: That's true.
1: Well, I guess then we should talk about the Preds as well. It is the off season, and it's a little sad. A little sad because this is not how we wanted our season to go. Yes, we're the back-to-back Central champions. Woohoo! I don't think that really Raise counts. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Get that banner raised high.
2: Well, it seems to be the big news in the last couple of days is yes. go ahead Coach Laviolette's uh, interview, speaking about the power play and also about if there's going to be any coaching staff changes coming off-season.
3: Yeah, Poyle even said himself, and this has been the point of contention for sure over Preds fans this last week, that there will be no coaching changes made in the offseason, that we are keeping everyone, including assistants, by the way, that also run our power play. Boo. Even though Lavi, like a good head coach, throws all the blame on himself. You're, I mean, you're. here's the deal. The head coach can't do it all. I mean, he. but you do realize that at some point, and we know because it was documented that McCarthy and Muse were running the power play on the bench. You could see it. I mean, and they even said it too because we made a change halfway, you know, what was in February where Muse was running it instead of McCarthy. So I, I get Lavi taking the blame for it all, but at the same time, I do not understand how the assistants will still keep their jobs in the offseason. But I guarantee you this, the leash better be super short to start the season. Because if you see our power play come out and struggle in the first 15 to 20 games and still post up, you know, 12, 13%, they better be finding someone immediately.
1: I think part of the problem is is that McCarthy is LaViette's man. It's well known that McCarthy works Lafayette. LaViette La works McCarthy. And I think another point of contention is that people want McCarthy gone. If any head coach or any assistant coach, is gone. It is people want McCarthy's head. But they know that Lovie will defend him. And I think that may come back to bite Lovie. That if, like you said, our power play sucks 20 games into the season, Poll says, I want McCarthy gone. What if Lovie says no?
3: I mean, I would hope Lovie, as I stated before, is logical enough to understand that it's just not working and we need a change and something has to give or it will be him as well. And obviously we're fairly okay with his performance considering we've had the most wins over his tenure, really in franchise history. We've gone to a Stanley cup. We have a Western conference trophy banner. We have multiple central division championships back to back, as you said, I mean, that's incredible resume. And I would like to throw that out there to Preds fans like, we are getting a little spoiled, too, with the results. And now it, it, it's, yes, it is regrettable that we're out in the first round, but let's put it into context. We have been making the playoffs a lot. We have been winning a lot, too, in the playoffs. So, you know, let's put it in context. There is some ray of sunshine here, but at the same time, I, I would hope Lavi could give on one thing to stay put in a good situation, bring in some other complementary players to just, Boost the power play and figure it out. I mean, they said. I think he even said they even studied the league's top power plays and they broke it down and just what it just wasn't. I I think that's a lie. I don't know. Like I mean, well, we can't sit here and say that was a lie. We have no idea what they did in the film room, but at the same time, it's just difficult to see twelve percent in the regular season and then zero percent in the playoffs. I, I mean that that is killer.
2: Put it like this: If you drive a Mercedes Benz car, that name evokes a certain standard, a reputation. And if you have your brakes are about to squeak and fall off the vehicle, you got to get them changed because you have to bring things up to a code and a standard. And the Nashville Predators organization has a certain standard and where we've got central champion banners here. We've got a certain way of doing things. And when one area seems to be falling off the map, it, the standard is just too low. We have to find a way to fix it. And I feel frustrated because I, I kind of feel like a, a Detroit Red Wings fan here. You're looking at Ken Holland. It's, things are kind of It's like this. If you're at the bottom, you have to have a plan. So if you're the worst team, the plan is, well, let me get a top pick. <laughs> well, you're in no man's land because you're not good enough to make the playoffs. You're not bad enough to get a great pick. Well, it seems to be the Predators organization is in this no man's land. We, we know it's garbage, but we're not going to really make any significant effort to change it. We're not going to fire the coaches. We're not going to make a drastic change in our uh, schemes of how we attempt the power play. So that's frustrating, and it's going to come to a boiling point. Nothing's changing. I don't know if it's being a hard head or whatever, but – and the next year is going to have the same results as we had this year. And then mm-hmm. we're going to have a more, uh, it's going to have a different dynamic uh, to the next conversation we're going to have about somebody's head's going to be on the platter. And it's just unfortunate because everybody knows it needs to be changed. There's just not, uh, we're not seeing a plan put in action to make it happen
3: sooner rather than later. Uh, I mean, here's the deal the best thing for them to do is they already stated that they're keeping everyone. So everyone's already upset. The best thing for them to do is during the off season, figure it out, figure out what schemes are going to work work on the systems, come back with a new system for the power play at the beginning of the year, start fresh. And if you come out and start, if the Preds come out and start posting 20% on the power play from the beginning of the year in the first 20 games, do you know what? No one will say, someone will be like, oh, my, we will embrace that 20%. Everything's good because winning and putting up good numbers corrects a multitude of sins. But if they come out, as you said, posting, you know, 12s, 12% or something, we're at the bottom of the league again in power play, first 15, 20 games, it will come to a boiling point and something we'll have to give. But unfortunately, it will be in the middle of a season rather than the off season. That is the one problem I have with this decision. Because I I just would hope they would have a short leash. Like they have to.
2: It seems that, I know David Boyle, he plays things tight to the vest and he's not a guy who makes emotional rash decisions. But I know the fan base, we want to make those rash changes because we can see it. And we know it has to change, and, and we all want to see it done sooner rather than later. That's all we're saying.
3: Yeah, I mean, and you could even tell in the press conference, like, Lavi was, like, upset about it. Like, he he, he was frustrated with the situation, and I think David was too. So, as I said, the one thing, I, you know, I've gotten over them keeping everyone in the off season, but the thing that I'm asking for is just a short leash, and then I hope... I hope they can come up with some new sort of power play system in the off season that just gives us average numbers. We're not, we're not asking for 30% lightning level, you know, power play. We just want average numbers. If we could put up average numbers in the playoff game, the, the Preds wouldn't be on the golf course right now because that would have made the difference in several close games. That's all I'm trying to get at. Just come out, figure it out in the off season and do it and prove it to us. If not, You're out. Something has to give. Were you ever
2: a kid and you come home with about five A's and then one D? Did you ever know what your parents did? Did they they thank you? Did they thank you for the A's? No. It was what happened here. Why is there a D? So and that's the way it is with the Preds. I know we've got a a lot of A plus talent on our team, but we're looking at the glaring thing that's standing out right now.
3: Yeah, we got we got a central division banner, but Woohoo. We still went home in the first round because, well, you couldn't make a single power play goal in the entire series. So yeah, it's definitely going to be a point of contention for all fans uh, moving into the beginning of next season. But as I said, come out and fix it. No one will say a thing. Everyone will move on and be happy. But if you don't, get ready. There's a storm coming. The The, the Preds fans will be picketing in front of Bridgestone for someone's head. It will happen.
1: Just, just watch. Well, I'll tell you one person I want to see come back next season on the power play is going to be Brian Boyle. He's a UFA at the end of the season, and I would love for him to absolutely come back. It seems like he had a great time in Nashville. and He was an immediate impact on our power play. He was one of the few bright spots on that power play, actually, this season.
3: Yeah, and in a lot of the exit interviews, I think most of the players expressed feelings for coming back. Uh, I'm not not sure all of them will. I do not know about Simmons being one of them. Uh, it just seemed to not work out. But, unfortunately, he was injured, too, uh, going into the. Almost the after the first or second game in the in the playoffs, so he was basically ineffective. Um, the person who did come in and make the biggest impact was Boyle by far. Um, Granlin's already locked in for another year, so that's kind of already good. We, we we just have him locked in. Whether you like his play or not, I think that second line is going to be a little different come the off season though, um, which I think we're going to get into in a later episode. I'm working on some cap stuff so we can have fun and kind of put our GM hats on and see all the different free agents because there are some gems out there who I would love to see on the Predators' second line come the start of
1: the year because
3: I think there are going to be some personnel changes.
1: Well, I hope we keep Rocco Grimaldi because he's RFA now, and he said he wants to come back. It seems like him and his wife, Abby, loved it here in Nashville. I mean, as much crap as we give the Preds sometimes for some of their decisions they seem to be a team that really does care about their players as a whole.
3: Yeah. I think actually during the middle of the season two, like Poyle told Rocco to actually get a place here in Nashville and like yeah. everyone seems to embrace him. He he's like another little RV, like it, it, the smallest player in the league. Look at him in the first round. He actually had three goals in, in those games that he comes in. Like that's the type of stories that you like to see. And, he, he's honestly been getting better as the season's gone on. It hasn't been one of those things where you're like, oh, we noticed him, he came in, did a little thing, and then now he's back in the AHL. He's actually been getting better, and that's the exciting part is we might be able to sign him for a minimal amount this off season, and he's still going to have great impact on the fourth and third line
1: this coming year. I'll tell you who we probably won't see come back is Zach Ronaldo, Cody McLeod. I don't think Wayne Simmons is going to come back either. Yeah, I mean... I think McLeod's gonna
3: retire, honestly. I mean he's really getting old and it was just a nice get him back in the locker room. He can be with the guys. This is the last year. If he does need to go in for some reason in the playoffs, he was there. But uh we knew he was not getting any ice time given any of the current roster and the starters that were available. And it was great to see Fabro, by the way, just come in and act like I mean like he's been in the NHL the entire time. He looked fantastic.
1: Did you know him and uh, Turris are going to play for Canada in the IHH Worlds? I think I heard that, yeah. Watch Turris score like 10 goals. Maybe it's what he needs. Maybe he was just snake bit on the Preds roster and he just needs this opportunity to, you know, get some mojo back.
3: Well, he can go ahead and go out there and get like 10 goals and it'll look really good for when the Preds start shopping him to get Duchesne in the offseason. Boom. There's right. my hot take.
1: I don't think we're going to see Irwin or Weber come back. I mean, Cam Hughes and Fabro made a competent, probably the best third pairing I've seen on the Preds in a long time.
3: Yeah, that that was an instant upgrade, getting Dan back off the injured reserve and then Fabro coming in. We, you know, that was kind of like a wild card because we didn't realize, you know, really know what he was going to do. Like, is he ready for the NHL? I mean, that was the big thing. He's been playing college hockey this entire time. But he stepped in and he looked good. And he kind of reminds me, honestly, a little bit of Yossi, the way he skates, very smooth with the puck. There were several times that he got pressured in his own zone. Very calm, wasn't uh, you know like pressured or anything. Great skating ability. So I'm I'm interested to see his progression in the off season too. Uh, you also have Tolvanen waiting in the wings too, try to beef up. I've heard that they're really going to try to beef him up in the uh, the summer months here, get him a little extra weight to to carry on. Try to get him you know a little tougher and on the boards and create the space that he needs to be a sniper. Because I mean. Honestly, I thought we would call him up at some point last year just to give him a chance on the power play to help us out. But that'll be interesting to see that going forward. There are so many options, and that is going to be a fun episode because we will literally be able to start picking apart the roster, seeing the available free agents, which there are some excellent ones out there, and basically building a team roster or a dream roster for our next year. So, Matt, do you have any
1: stats or anything we need to talk about? Yeah, a couple other things we'll mention
2: uh, here as we wrap the episode up. They have announced the finals for the Hart Trophy, and that is the basically the player who means the most to their team, and that is Kucherov, Crosby, and McDavid. So seeing that Kucherov won the scoring title, he'll probably win the Hart Trophy as well. And uh, I like this one, the Calder Trophy finalist. That is the, basically the rookie of the year. It has uh, Elias Pettersson, uh, Jordan Bennington, and Rasmus Dahlin. And sure, that's, no,
3: that's going to be difficult too because Bennington came on strong. But I, for me, it's Pedersen, personally. Oh, yeah. But Bennington, if, if here's the deal if they counted um, postseason, like playoffs, Bennington's winning it yeah. because he's been crushing it. But it's a regular season award. So yeah. I don't know.
2: I will say, notably missing, some people are kind of upset about this, is that Miro Heiskin kind of got snubbed in this one despite he had 12 goals and 33 points uh, as a rookie. But Luckily for him, it's not going to matter because Pedersen has 28 goals and 66 points, so it's not even close. Uh, Pedersen's going to run away with this one. And if we peer into our record sheet, uh, that magnificent Game 7 that San Jose had, Kevin LeBanc has now set uh, an all-time record at four points coming in just four minutes and one second is the fastest four points in playoff history, passing my boy Johan Franzen. And he also is the first player to ever have four points in one period of a Game 7. In addition, we have not mentioned that this episode of Mister Game Seven himself, Justin Williams, extends his record. He is now eight and one in Game Sevens, extending his NHL record of uh, fifteen points in those
3: nine games played. Off of a sick pass, yes, absolutely laser pass, off of a tip in in overtime, double overtime. I watched that game; it was fantastic, and of course, it was Mister Game Seven. I, I mean, it, that was—I was watching it, and I'm like, you know, what are the betting odds that? He comes up with a big play here, and I'm like, they're pretty good. And sure enough, it was like five minutes later, Justin Williams swings it in. And you thought he actually scored the goal at first, just the way he shot it so quick. But it was a beautiful pass, great tip in. Great to see. That man's ageless. He still looks great. And it was against his former team. Yes. How, How sweet is that? In and, game Seven,
2: And thanks to that assist by Justin Williams in game seven, that led to now it's the fourth time in nine years that the defending Stanley Cup champion has been knocked out in the first round. So it has been quite a whirlwind of a playoff season so far, and there's quite a lot still to see yet.
1: And I will say before we close the showdown that once again, um, if you win our bracket challenge, you're going to get a $25 NHL item of your choice. So pretty much anybody's game at this point. Brackets are busted. I haven't looked at them in a long time, so uh, it's the person who picked all the
3: upsets. I'm pretty sure it's his to lose at this point. So. That same person. Yeah, it's man. it's incredible. He's gonna have to drop out of school because that's what his bracket actually said. If I'm dropping out of school if this happens, so it looks like it's about to happen.
1: Well, man, I need to go talk to him if I need to go bet on the team in the future.
3: Goodness. Yeah, he he pulled some Back to the Future stuff right there. Got the Sports Almanac and came back because um, it is so improbable. But you know, sometimes
1: you gotta. Just pick your favorites and go for it. Yeah, you're better off throwing, as we said, beginning the show, darts, or throw some dice and maybe flip a coin. But, guys, it's been a great episode. We've still got a lot of playoff hockey left to go, as Matt said. Be sure that you get on Twitter and retweet our pin tweet for the jersey giveaway, which we're not at 4,000 followers yet. So that means, at this point, it'll be given away at the end of the playoffs. But if we get 4,000 followers, we will do the drawing early, and it could be you. So follow us, retweet it, get it out there, and tell your friends, and we'll see you next time. On music city gold take it away rachel
0: you've been listening to music city gold on penalty box radio powered by the ingram agency we'd love to interact with you on twitter the show can be found at music city gold you can find kyle at kyle hancock daniel at c dan drum and matt at matt bain 31. past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to penalty box radio on itunes soundcloud or at penaltyboxradio.com thanks for listening and we'll see you on the ice